HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market, a New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Terkel, co-host today, Chris Schlinger. Thanks for being in the studio. Oh, thanks for having me. And today, we get a really great treat. It is the Heath. And what is the Heath? I kind of want to keep it as mysterious, as you know, enigmatic as it is, but Caesar Hawass and R.L. Not Ricky. R.L. King. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both for being here. It's my stage name. Happy to be here. So, a lot of people know Sleep No More. They even know the McKittrick Hotel, mm-hmm. you know, over in Chelsea. But they don't know the Heath as, as widely as they should after experiencing it myself. I, I was smitten, blown away, and so intrigued to go back many, many a times. Because it, it is as performative, as theatrical, as the other things that happen there. And let's just start kind of... What, what is the pitch? What is the description of the Heath? Because it is unlike any other dinner I've had in New York. So uh, the the Heath being the, the sort of restaurant located at the McKittrick Hotel is sort of the uh, another layer on the cake of this emporium of curiosities that is the McKittrick Hotel. And just, um, you know, everything from a rooftop bar to a show to um, a speakeasy lounge, we just sort of got it all. And we just sort of thought the next logical evolution, uh, particularly in sort of uh, exploring... Uh, sensations and uh, senses and and really uh, taking our time to uh, loop that into the experience that people are already having. We're like, we should throw food into the mix. It's like, food? Why food? Let's do food. Food's because people love food and people love being in this sort of uh, environment and challenge to explore. And so uh, that's sort of where uh, the Heath 
uh, came up. Um, and just as a way to sort of introduce people to everything else that's going on in the McKittrick Hotel, the Heath is sort of a, a starting point, uh, but certainly not the only starting point. Yeah. And you are a special envoy to the McKittrick mm-hmm. Hotel. What that means, I don't know. But I barely know myself. <laughs> <laughs> but but what you've parlayed, you know, what you've taken, the cues from Sleep No More, uh, even from the rooftop Gallo Green, mm-hmm. to, to make this a very complete environment. Um, you walk in. I mean, this is from my experience. I don't know if it changes every night. No spoilers. Yeah, no spoilers. <laughs> I, I won't. But you walk in and... The theatrical lighting is—it's—it's it's kind of murky, it's misty, and it—it's it, scented with that same intrigue that mm-hmm. you have once you eat the menu as well. But you row by this train card, and you're just transported into this land. And every from thing from there on out, you know, feels like being in the set of a movie, mm-hmm. kind of like The Shining or something that's a throwback to the Roaring Twenties. Um, the menu, though, is a little bit of that, as well as a little bit of contemporary. Uh, talk about you know walking into that space or trying out you know your initial menu to kind of pair with the Heath. Well, when we decided the concept that it was going to be that 1930s, 40s, old New York with the English, Scottish uh, undertones. Um, it was a challenge. It was a real challenge to try to figure out that wide of a spectrum and how does the food fit in there, especially for me being a restaurant chef and coming from uh, farm to table and using things that are seasonal, local, and as close to the heath as possible, meaning uh, regionally local uh, farmers or producers, purveyors. So to come up with the menu was probably at least six to eight weeks of scouring cookbooks, websites, uh, watching Marco Pierre White and Heston Blumenthal and... Uh, Fergus Henderson, and then also going back to 1930s and 40s train car menus because that's our setting. That's uh, like our our setting is that golden age uh, dining room of a railroad station. So that took fucking forever to try to figure out. Uh, once we figured it out, once we started to bring in that spectrum, then we were able to take those classics and put my style, my spin on the food to make it st- still mean that it's the heath but also have that unique taste texture and the way it's written on the menu so let's talk about immersive which Mm -hmm. is the production company that puts on sleep no more Mm -hmm. um and punch drunk you know which which started that whole kind of genre of interactive performative Mm -hmm. plays how did you see that playing a part in rl's menu i mean was it part of service or was it how the food was presented? Well, I think the, yeah, the, the approach to it was that knowing that um, no matter how you dress it up, uh, a bad menu is a bad menu. And, you know, when people are coming to eat, that the food needs to be really solid um, and not only needs to reflect the, you know, personal um, preferences and aesthetic that, you know, chef has, but also sort of play into the, the totality of the experience, which I think is a pretty unique approach to creating a menu. Um, obviously, you know, the, you hear lots of chefs and lots of restaurateurs say, oh, well, re- dining is such a theatrical experience. And we had the blessing and the curse of <clears throat> being in, having that as, as very much a, a very literal uh, directive. You know, it is literally a theatrical experience for us. And so, um, you know, it was, it was very important that uh, you could come to the Heath and have a full-on dining experience, uh, unmitigated by the theatricality, 
um, but also uh, allow yourself to sort of uh, roll with it and, and let that, but it, it has to be extremely seamless in the way that everything that happens in the building is seamless from the, from Sleep No More itself to Gallo Green. You know, if you, if you have any of those edges that are revealed, it sort of pulls a guest right out of it. And so, um, the, in considering what kind of food we'd have in the space, it was really important to us that chef was able to fully express his vision you know, in in a in a very challenging uh, environment, you know, you you have to play along. You you, you know, exactly. otherwise it sticks out like a sore thumb, and yep. you don't want one thing to sort of overpower. They really need to work in tandem, and and that was really important uh, from Punch Drunk as a creative engine and immersive as the uh, the the developers of the of the experience. Like, it it all had to make sense, and that really matters to us. You had to leave. I had to leave the ego behind. It was like this is how I cook. This is what I cook, and this is this is what I'm only going to cook. By leaving it behind and able to adapt and work with First Punch Drunk and then the McKittrick Hotel, to everyone in the building and us working together as a team instead of it being hierarchy, chef, driven, this is the only way it's going to be. It was a challenge in the beginning, but after that, figuring out that challenge and adapting to it was like the most freeing thing in the mm-hmm. world. You're like, all right, it's not just about me. Yes, I'm a piece of this, but... We were able to go crazy and be able to just do all these, these crazy things with the menus and the events. So it's been a been quite an experience, life life changing experience for sure. I mean, you, you use the word seamless, which I think is super appropriate for <clears throat> you know the Heath as a whole. Because mm-hmm. from the instant that you walk in, I mean, even before that, taking the elevator up, mm-hmm. you know, you, you are again in in some other place. But once you get to that place, it, it, it's not only unforgettable, but you are so on on edge is the wrong word you are just so heightened by everything that's about to happen that you can't have that misstep you know the food has to be flawless the service has to be flawless because everyone thinks that it is a theatrical show and it's not dinner theater Mm -hmm. no 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 no, but i remember sitting down at the table you look around towards every other table thinking like are they part of this do they know what's going on and obviously there are certain players uh, you know, some dressed in white, some some as servers, some which you wouldn't expect that interact with you in a way that one must drive a chef crazy because <laughs> you get taken away from the table every once in a while. It's like when smokers used to exist in New York and screw up your timing of, you know, putting out dishes. But there is this like crazy amount of ebb and flow that happens in that room. And everyone's cool with it. It's similar challenges. I mean, we do the same as it be the smoker or be the person getting pulled away to have an experience. I mean, now we're training the servers. We've been training the, everybody on the staff to realize that, okay, slow the food down, speed the food up. They went, you know, there's an experience going on. We need to wait. So it's the same exact kind of style of uh, service is that everybody has to communicate together. That goes from the front of the house to the performers to the managers to all the people that we have working in the behind the scenes so it's 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 it everything is theatrical there even the dining even putting the food up well we realize and we, and we realized very early on and it was sort of the uh the guiding light so to speak uh that uh, this wouldn't work if the food wasn't great and it wouldn't work if uh the, the sort of experience itself wasn't great this is it's all sort of part of of one whole that only exists if it's all working together and there's something really magical about that, uh, and it's very exciting to be a part of that. Let's talk about this food, because I mean, you, you had to scour 30s, 40s, you know, dining car menus 
a lot but, of bad food. Yeah, but yeah. how do you take bad food and make it good? How do you make it contemporary but still fit the place that the Heath is? It, I think it's because of my training, and they have come. You know, been been in this business my whole life. From I hate to sound cliche, but birth, father owning a uh, fried chicken shack, mother being a bartender, but going through all of these motions my whole life and working for badasses down in Charleston, South Carolina, working for badasses in D.C., working next to my peers, my best friends, my family. They're all, like, we all strive to be the best. And then it was reading cookbooks. I mean, my cookbook collection is 300 deep and constantly growing to the point where the wife hates it. But (laughs) um, it's all just reading and technique and knowledge and eating and spending all of your money your whole life just on everything surrounded by food. And then when we got to this, the Heath, it was looking at old menus and saying, okay, this doesn't sound like this is the way we need to do it, but let's use the technique I know from, say, classic French or Argentinian or Italian or whatever I've learned in the past, Vidalia for, you know, super French fine dining, being able to take all of those techniques, smash them into each dish to make it the best possible way to cook it. Go like the fish pie. I've had fish pie everywhere, and it is terrible. But the way we do it is classic French with a velouté, and we poach the seafood in the velouté very slowly, and then we cover it with the mashed potatoes that just have egg yolk because they don't brown, they don't break, they just form this nice crust. And in English, everybody that has this dish, they freak out because how did you do that? And all we do is we just take our time. I love how much attention is taken to a fish pie because, you know, (laughs) you you look at British cuisine and... I don't want to be the you know millionth person to knock it, but <laughs> this whole idea of pies, meat pies, etc., doesn't seem like it takes the most technique, but obviously it does. And there was a point where I was sitting at the table and someone came up to me and asked me to come with her. I'm trying not to give too much away. Easy. Uh, easy. Come with her, and I'm like, hold on a sec. I'm in the middle of eating my meat pie. And she's like, no, you, you can come with me now. I'm like, I understand, but... I'm really into this meat pie right now. Nice. So you're going to have to give me a second. Priorities. Yeah. So she left a, you know, a little note as to where to meet her. And I know my wife is probably listening. And don't worry, you know, I told you everything <laughs> about this. <laughs> but there was so much attention, you know, taken to something as, as kind of like overlooked as, you know, the classic British, you know, beef and Guinness pie. That, mm-hmm. that took us, it takes us five days to make that dish. And when we did it, uh, we did a TV show about a month and a half ago, and we did it in three minutes. Let me tell you, that was <laughs> that was insane. But it takes us from curing the meat for f- three days to make uh, making the uh, chicken stock, to reducing the chicken stock, to making the braise, to searing the meat, to braising the meat. I mean, it's all of these things. It's classic French uh, braise technique, but we turned it into that pie. Made the made the roux to make the gravy to make the uh, actual pie filling, and all that came from actually watching YouTubes of uh, Marco Piero White, uh, Heston Blumenthal, even though his it's molecular for him, or modernist cuisine, I got a lot of technique on just how to do it right, or how to do it where it's not going to be overcooked or hammered or just taste like shit. You see HP sauce. <laughs> you see... Uh, we make it. Bubble and squeak. Yeah. We you made know, that. That yeah. was on the menu when we first started. So, but you, you see these very you know British things, mm-hmm. but then I was joking with you about bene seeds, because how does a low country boy get bene seeds on a menu that's transportive of the 1930s, 40s? UK loves fish and chips. I love the low country, so we kind of... We mixed it all together. A mashup. 
But the bene seeds gives it that nuttiness that's always missing. And you mix the bene seed, half uh, the flour, bene seed flour with all-purpose flour, and it gives it this crispy, crunchy, but lighter crust than, say, a normal fish batter or a beer batter, where it's always heavy and the fish usually is soggy and hammered, overcooked, because it takes so long to get the, fi- the, the actual beer batter to cook. So, Well, we're going to take a quick break, and I'm going to figure out how not to reveal too much <laughs> of the heath, but still intrigue you enough to go there. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We'll be right back. Steve Jenkins from Fairway Markets. We support Heritage Radio Network because all you folks listening are so genuine, so dedicated to serious food, so much a part of what this country needs to strive to become. People like you are few and far between, and it's obvious to us at Fairway that we've got to stick together. Our desire is that the word gets out about Heritage Radio Network in its support for serious food, foodstuffs that offer memorability and and timelessness, authenticity and, and rarefied quality. This country grew too fast to have established any degree of a heritage. Europe had centuries to develop one. America has not. Heritage Radio Network serves to hasten the evolution of a society that often appears coarse and uninterested. For more information, please visit fairwaymarket.com. Hey, and welcome back to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org. We powwowed, we, we brainstormed for a second. We figured out the question to ask to not give away too much, Chris. Okay, yeah, actually, while I was biting my tongue about the British food. So, let <laughs> kind of take the, the neophyte that, hmm, I'm intrigued perspective. So, I'm here in restaurant, I'm here in maybe show, I'm here in hotel. How does this tie together? If I show up at this place, what happens? Do I, do I have to go full on? Can I just come to get something to eat? What am I going to get? Well, I think what we realized, uh, you know, one of the, another early uh, revelation was that um, nothing uh, should be able to, um, re- nothing should rely too heavily on anything else that's happening in the building to, to be great. And that's what, um, that's sort of our approach to everything that we do in terms of being really dense in our detail and, and uh, really uh, careful to make sure that it all makes sense together. So you could go to Sleep No More, um, you know, and, and explore the hundred rooms that we have in the space and, and just sort of let yourself go, um, you know, with that. Or you could go to the Mandalay Bar, which is, a you know, sort of an integral part of the Sleep No More experience, but is also a bar on its own. And then, you know, with Gallo Green, the rooftop bar, uh, also sort of existing on its own as just a, a really great, you know, place to have a cocktail. Um, and then, you know, with the heat, 
you know, it, it was really important that it could be a companion to Sleep No More, but also could very much stand on its own. Again, we all fail if the restaurant isn't a good restaurant. And so, um, so in, in trying to uh, craft those experiences, you know, you're sort of always thinking of um, what are the different avenues that someone could take to get here. And sometimes it's, you know, you could, you could have a great meal at the Heath before uh, seeing Sleep No More, or you could have a cocktail before going down into the Heath, or you could see Sleep No More and then afterwards go up and have a nightcap you know, in, in the Heath or Gallo Green. And so, the you know, like Sleep No More, there is no right or wrong way to experience the McKittrick Hotel. And, it, and it's very important to always know that there's... Um, we just know that we put ourselves out there and, and we sort of do the best version of whatever it is that we're doing and how you experience it. You know, we sort of let the, let the guests take the wheel in that regard. So we would never say this is the right way to do it or this is how to expect, you know, your night to play out. But, um, but just know that there are a gajillion different variations on, on what your night could look like. On a Friday and Saturday night, you could spend 12 hours there and have every experience, every hour different. I mean, there, we, there aren't a whole lot of rules in this building either. So it's like you really can do whatever you want as long as you're ready to experience that. You know, I, I like the fact that you bring that up because something you said earlier, too, about the, the classic chef perspective of here's my idea of an experience and here's what I want to create and present for you as a package. Whereas you mentioned that in this, you more has had to let yourself go, be part of the, the bigger experience of the mm-hmm. whole sleep no more and the hotel and whatnot. But on a let's say a day to day basis, to what extent do you do you think you have a, a presentation, a package that you present to the guest versus something that you feed off of and evolve even spontaneously? Uh, let's say I would go night after night after night, and my experience would be different. Uh, do, you, do you think that happens a lot, or do you always have that idea in mind? I think it happens all the time, I constantly. We change the menu uh, every week. There's at least one, two, three dishes in, on the Heath. In the Heath, that change uh, weekly. Gallo Green mean, uh, menu changes daily. Uh, the weather could change at Gallo Green, so you go to the Heath. Uh, the Heath could you could get sick of the Heath and go to the Gallo Green. You could come there every day and have a different experience. You could go downstairs to sleep no more. We have the Mandalay Bar. We have, I mean, a hundred thousand square feet of experience or uh, things to do. You know, you know, it's it's really truthful that at a point someone walks up to you. And uh, there, there was this host. I think his name was John, but you were supposed to call him something else. Bishop. He ended up crooning with the band at a point. And let me point out, there is a live band every night, and it freaking rocks. So if you're just looking to go <laughs> and sure see does. a show, it's kind of amazing. But he said, you know, take a card. Write your name on it. We're going to do a raffle. You're going to win something. And I said, okay. So I write it on. And he goes, like, you know, and this is special. We don't do this every night. And I believed him. You know, when you usually hear that, you're like, that's shtick. But you, you looked into his eyes, and you believed that you were there on a very special night. So I, I have no doubt that, you know, the permutations happen, that, you know, it is a choose-your-own-adventure kind mm-hmm. of place. You say 100 rooms for Sleep No yeah, More? Yeah, 100 rooms. And, and like Sleep No More, you know, you could, you could come to Sleep No More, you know, three different times, and every time have a totally different experience, even just from where you're standing. Because when you're dealing with an immersive environment, it truly is immersive uh, at the McKittrick Hotel. It's... 360 degrees so even changing the direction that you're looking at or the place that you're standing or sitting at a different table in the restaurant will give you a very different experience just because of you know we we cover all the bases it's so dense in detail that you'll there's so much to discover and and see no matter 
you know, what your perspective is. And believe you me, my orientation changed to every Aberdonian sour I had, <laughs> which was a fantastic <laughs> drink, by the way. Nice. Either a change or you just lost your orientation. Yeah, I think Whatever. so. You know, there was a little bit of compass there. We call know? that the spins. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have that. Luckily, they lead you back to the table after yeah. they take you away. Drag you back. Yeah. Lead you back, whatever. But, you know, there were certain aspects of the dinner, too, that... that weren't part of the menu per se that you know a, a glass of madeira or sherry was offered how do you interplay that into the menu itself do you have to you know watch out because things will clash they won't pair necessarily or is everything again seamless everything is seamless everything was thought about from uh, menu design to the food we're using to the seasonal uh, produce we're using to the meats to the roasts to the the small uh, nibbles and crisps Everything was thought of. The sherry program is one that I, that I really, really wanted to put in because it matched for what we're doing. It fit the dining room. It fit the experience. And sherry just at the end of the meal is just, I mean, a, a lovely thing to finish, cleanse, open the palate again for whatever's next. With all these, I, I hear the, the so many opportunities for inspiration, yeah, not only the farm to table, but the whole experience of the, the suite no more in the hotel. To what extent do you get to feed off the guests themselves, pardon the pun? I think with our, I mean, with our team that we have, we have you know we have probably twenty different teams throughout the building, and we all work together. So I'm feeding off them that they're hearing from the guests. Or we might do this uh, event that we have coming up in the McKittrick Hotel that it's going to be this great hedonistic feast that we're going to create food with. Like New Year's Eve was this grand king's feast that was supposed to be so gluttonous. It wasn't about feeding people; it was more about showing your wealth and showing how opulent you could be. So. For me, it's I get my feedback from our teams. They say, "Well, we're going to do this, or this is what we're hearing, and this is what's coming up next." So, with that, then it's just you just go. Like you sit with the say the choreographer or the special events, and they just start saying what the event's going to be, and they're rattling off that it's it's uh, set in this room and dressed this way. And I just write, 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 and then I go and research it, and then create menus off of that. I mean, you say opulence, and I think again that prosperity, and mm-hmm. you think of the roaring 20s and the better half of it was prosperous mm-hmm. and you know people were celebrating and it was art deco and it was art nouveau and people were there to experience and party and that's that's what every square foot of the mckittrick kind of feels we, like we like the party yeah. yeah and you were telling me though when you initially cooked the tasting menu to try to get the job your inspiration was a party i already you had the job yeah and i had to do the tasting yeah. after the job <laughs> but it was preservation <laughs> jazz hall band new orleans and if you've ever been down to that city i mean how can't that be a party yeah. and how can't that be a different experience every time you go right so I, I think it was like totally perfect i think we did 30 dishes for this tasting yeah. uh there was so much food usually, <laughs> usually when i do these things like i get the idea is like well i can't just show you four dishes because you're not going to understand my vision or the vision i'm getting from what you guys have told me so we did 30 dishes six people sitting around and we carried around the roast to show you what it would be like if we did full roast what you're getting on a plate that way you can get a taste you get a sense of what i feel about the room and the, the experience and everything else that's going on so you see how well it fits in with everything else so you know i'm hearing some pretty incredible stuff and if i was a chef going into this I'd be like whoa dude cool job sounds interesting but what's really surprised you now that you're actually doing it 
Well, this like I said before, this is a, an experience of a lifetime. Most chefs they cook their whole life. They figure out the genre they want to cook in, either it be Italian, French, farm to table, whatever it might be. They cook and they decide to work for those people. They decide to work for the best of those people. If you're trying to be the best, and once you get to that point to where you figured out your style, frankly, my mentor told me he's twenty years you'll figure out your style, and that was 1999 when he told me that. But then once, then my style was farm to table with a little southern, with southern emphasis on things. Um, but with this, it, you know, it could, it's the, the experience of any chef, the best experience because you're not stuck in a genre, you're not stuck cooking one thing. You're not okay. I've done the genre now. I have to buy the restaurant now. I have to cook behind one stove now. I have to retire from this restaurant or spread these restaurants out because that's all I'm doing. With this, it's English fare. Halloween, we did Morocco, so I was researching Moroccan food and doing that and doing it with technique and style and not just being so fake and mm-hmm. like wrong. So for me, for the year and a half I've been there, like I said, in the short period of time, I've cooked so much food from so many different areas that most people will never get that experience in their life. I mean, let's let's move upstairs and talk about Gallo Green, the rooftop, mm-hmm. which is just recently opened again and. It's what four hundred people deep sometimes. I mean, that oh, place yeah. is rocking. <laughs> it's a. I mean, it's you know, especially after this um, winter where um, you know they're literally inventing names to explain the weather patterns that we're suffering through. <laughs> <laughs> I had never heard of a polar vortex before. So w- when we were like, you know, this shouldn't just be like a new season of Gallo Green. It should be the answer to all New Yorkers like hopes and dreams of a beautiful place to um, to escape to and and we really spared no um, attention to detail there either I mean it's this lush overgrown secret garden that truly feels like an escape you're in the middle of Chelsea but um, it you know it really feels like you're in a, in a totally different world and um, you know I think that uh, you know what's what better environment to be in to get a little hazy than you know this slightly surreal environment anyway and it just sort of um speaks to the the seamlessness of everything that we you know we do it it has to it has to work in totality and it has to work from every vantage point and so um gallo green this year we were like let's let's really focus on cocktails and um you know eric holloway who's uh doing really great things in our bar and created a really beautiful cocktail program that has um that's inspired very specifically from the garden itself so um you know the uh, there's there's cocktails that are actually using herbs that we're growing in the space and uh it, it feel it's very much a garden inspired uh, menu and it, it's you know not just a slave to trends but also it's very much informed by what just what, what do we like i mean i think that a lot of people get really in their heads about what works and what do people want and all that sort of thing but but i think if you just do what you do and you do it really well you'll ultimately always end up you know in a really great place and that's sort of what the approach and letting letting the experts do their job letting chef ricky make the best possible meal sort of gently inspired by what we're doing but but let him do his thing and let you know let our uh our entire bar team do their thing and create these really awesome cocktails and so that's that you know that's really what gallo green is all about this season it's really exciting i mean what are the inspirations of the season what bonkers menu items do you have on we we just put in an aeroponic uh, garden farm on the uh, east side of the roof which we have 15 uh, towers that we're growing our own vegetables tomatoes cucumbers fruits like strawberries all the herbs that grow on the top of the towers 
will be used mostly in cocktails. So everything is inspired by first Gallo Green's garden, and then we built a farm to even drive it even more to say in using in that seasonal, that fresh, the stuff not farm to table but roof to table now that we're coining it i guess um <laughs> roof to table roof, roof. you hear that yeah roof to table. <laughs> you heard it here first timestamp um <laughs> you know one of my great friends he hey he started the program is we, we are one of uh only two in the state that have the aeroponic uh garden the farm is what i like to call it because garden sounds a little too not farm not food not cuisine but um eventually we have even more hopefully by the end we'll have 65 towers back there but that's definitely the inspiration and it's also the inspiration is coming from the heat we're trying to offer you something in Gallagher that you might see or you might feel in the Heath because we want you to go down and experience the Heath for a full dinner for a full full experience down there as well but as we saw you know over the weekend it's like people were just they're eating whatever you put on the menu and we're putting some cool crazy stuff that mimics but also uh, a little twist that little tongue-in-cheek a little cheeky uh, you know foie gras on the menu right now which I never thought would sell and we sold almost out on Sunday night so which is amazing one clause on the menu is that you may experience what an intense psychological interaction mm-hmm. and i did <laughs> i certainly Good. did we but did isn't it. that like we did our job yeah isn't that what you life's all about yeah. intense psychological experiences it was pretty intense i mean in a wonderful way i walked away you know wanting more and wanting to come back many a times but at the end of that interaction the person tells me you're one of the family now. And when you walk out of the Heath, you certainly have that sensation. You know, you never, it's Hotel California y, mm-hmm. that you never feel like you really leave because, mm-hmm. you know, you're still thinking about it. You're still wanting to be there. But we're not a brothel. No. <laughs> but I, most I mean, of the time. I just, most have of the time. To, <laughs> I just have to commend you at least on uh, that is such an accomplishment of just a restaurant, yet alone the McKittrick. That, that you can create a space and a menu and a full-out experience that is so total and so... The Heath itself is, uh, is like the amount of regulars we have just coming to eat dinner. They're not going upstairs to Gallagher and they're not going to see the show uh, downstairs. They're coming to eat and have that same experience over and over again. We have 7, 10, 12 uh, returns by uh, regulars, which is, for me, being uh, from mostly restaurants is amazing it's like okay you've got the experience you came you had the great food you've had the great uh, the jazz band and the performers and all the elements that we provide but you continue you continue to come back more i mean over and over again which that blows my mind there's so many restaurants in new york city twenty-eight thousand to be exact from what the health inspector told me um as <laughs> that you could you know there's so many places to eat but they still we still get return customers i mean it's just it blows my mind again well, I, I'll tell you, I would certainly go there to eat again, but on top of that, I would go there to experience everything the Heath has to offer. Thank you both for being on. My pleasure. Thank RLs, you. RLs, Caesar, and my co-host, Chris. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Hope to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. 
Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.